I have a good friend here, Manuel. He's a council member, and I'm excited to have him on to talk about all the uh, details he can provide you on how to improve a city, what he does for a living. Hi everyone, I'm Manuel Chavez, a council member of the great city of Costa Mesa, a District 4. Uh, I've just been elected this past election in uh, 2020, and now I'm my fifth year serving city council. Happy to be here with you guys and sharing my insights and just having a good time with Andrew. Three balls, two strikes, pressure is on. This is where we discuss real estate, property improvement, and business. Together, we'll strategize on how to win. Welcome to the full count. Five years went by quick then. They did, they did. Uh, weren't you like the youngest uh, Latino in, in Costa Mesa for city council at one point? Yeah, so I, I am the youngest in city history. And then wow. um, I was one of the first Latinos alongside and JMR and, Ar and Arles Reynolds. How's that feel? Uh, like major so, accomplishment or? Honestly, I, I tried to not highlight that when I was running for city council. Right. I, I feel like oftentimes people want to focus on like their age or other yeah. aspects themselves. But, to get elected. But what I realized is people want to know like, do you care about my community? Right. Do you care about the values I care about? So um, definitely happy to be the youngest of history coast Mesa, but well, that's something I was trying to do. Just want sure. to get elected and do good things for my community. Yeah, it's always good to see someone that's Latino to do it too, just because we don't see that demographic all the time, uh, in particular areas, right, of course, but it's it's definitely a wonderful thing. And I'm, I'm proud of you as a friend that you're able to do that and you still have a long trajectory ahead. Thank but you. But I wanted to, uh, you know, just see why did you decide to go into, you know, politics, city council, of all the things you could have done. Yeah. You chose that path. Yeah, no, great question. So. I always say my journey in politics began way before I even thought of running for office. Mm -hmm. It began with my mom and my dad. So my dad, you know, he came to this country um, as an immigrant, um, undocumented, and then he got citizenship through through Ronald Reagan when he had the, the last yeah, big yeah. reform of immigration. So my dad always kind of viewed politics as something um, that was not a right; it was a privilege. Mm -hmm. So when I was growing up, my dad always made sure that. You know, we watched every, every every debate for president that, you know, he made sure I saw him voting for president or voting for every election cycle and kind of instilling that like sense of like civic engagement and civic duty. So he instilled that in you. Yeah. Okay. It, it, to my bones. I cannot miss an election, even special elections. It's you got to vote, man. It's, it's part of the process of democracy. Vote. That's right. Um, my mom was more about service. So my mom was like volunteering. Mm -hmm. So I remember being like six years old and we go volunteer at a soup kitchen and go volunteer for a, at the school program. So I think those two things kind of was the backdrop of, of my upbringing. Mm -hmm. And then just, you know, growing up in Costa Mesa, which when I was growing up, never had a, a, a person council was Hispanic. Right. And just seeing the effects that I had in my, in my district, in my community, um, really realized that if I wanted to make a change in my community, I could do it. I, I should do it where I'm from. Right. So for me, um, that was kind of the whole backdrop of politics, how I got into it and how I ended up falling. That's, love with it. that's fantastic because I feel like a lot of people don't, you know, you, if you have parents, it's already, you're already in a good advantage in a way. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they were able to instill that from the service and then, you know, being patriotic in terms of participating in democracy. I mean, that's major what you had right there. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very blessed to have, have, have two good parents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So for me, originally when I ran for city council, it was really about fixing these like long-term issues that were, um, like I kind of forgotten in my district because I, I cover the most Hispanic part of Costa Mesa. So a lot of the issues I was working on fixing were like the potholes, like, you know, lack of striping on, mm -hmm. on streets, you know, street repavements. The bigger issues were really lack of park spaces and it was solving our homeless problem at the time. So happy to say we have done big strides on, on both of those two things. I'm happy to show potholes and homelessness, pothole homelessness and, and parks. Okay. So, um, in the past four years, what we did on each of those things, well, the potholes were easy, just prioritizing. But is it easy? Because I see some cities that there's potholes everywhere. So. Well, it, it it's easy for Costa Mesa because we have good revenues, right? We, okay. we, you know, we have, we have, we have Sacos Plaza, a really big mm -hmm. uh, commercial space that's always doing well. And then we do a lot to, you know, invest in our city. So make right. sure, you know, we're, we're trying to be, be a foodie place. We have two mission stars in Costa Mesa. We always do our best to make sure that people can, like, expand their businesses in a, in a, in a quick and efficient manner, right. attract in new companies like Andrel, which does defense contracting. Right. Yeah. I saw that so, in the Orange County Business Journal, actually. Exactly. Day. So for us, the goal is, the city's first goal is to keep residents safe. The second goal is to make sure we have revenues to make sure we enhance the, 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 right the like, community's, community's quality of life. Right. So for me, luckily in Costa Mesa, we, we already had revenues that we could divert. 
to those those streets. Um, what I will say though is Coast Pizza does have the second best streets in all Orange County. We're very, I know that. We're very really? Proud. Only Irvine beats us, which it's okay. Okay, Irvine, Irvine, Irvine. makes sense. Irvine <laughs> is like yeah. So so that was a pretty easy fix. Just just acknowledging, hey, let's let's move these up the docket so folks feel like we're listening to them. Mm-hmm. Um, the homelessness piece was really cool because we actually have a homeless shelter in partnership with Newport Beach, and it's really interesting because the the Ninth Circuit judges, federal circuit judges, allow cities to enforce anti-camping ordinances um, should, should they have a homeless shelter. So in other words, it's kind of a carry to think approach, right? Where someone's homeless in Costa Mesa, um, we have officers or even caseworkers that say, "Hey, if you want to stay in Costa Mesa, you need to go to the homeless shelter." And get help and get services and have, have a roof for your head. Mm. If they don't want to do that, yeah. then then we have the right to tell them to leave Costa Mesa. Okay, so that that's only done because it's set up in that manner, though. Yes, I feel like every city should be able to do that, but what? Why is the reason that they don't? Yeah, so the the Ninth Circuit Court, um, you know, this federal court, mm-hmm. what they what they ruled in in California, like you know, all the Western states, was you can only enforce anti-camping ordinances so you can't have like a tent like litter around mm-hmm. um if you have a place for that homeless resident to go so basically it's incentivizing cities to either have a homeless shelter i see or a partnership with a homeless shelter okay so i like it it's, it's a good approach because on one hand we're getting folks that want to get help the chance to get help and the folks that don't want to get help because they don't want to get help and, and a lot I- of them don't want to get help in my opinion, we we've seen a mixed back. We've seen right. a mixed back. We've seen some residents want to get help and then they struggle with the help because there's rules in, in the shelter. So it's not a lot of them don't want to follow the rules. Yeah, and that's where it gets hard because it's right. like you see they want to get help, but they're not ready yet. So it's an interesting thing that cities have to do. Mm-hmm. But as I've always noticed, is a lot of times when federal government or state government really can't solve problems, it falls on cities. Right. And that's why people say that you should definitely care about you know the overall federal government and what's going on and policy but it's very important to know what's happening at home which yeah. is at your city yeah. and then if you want to go even more narrow at your district right mm-hmm. yeah so so that, that, that's progress there and then just to round it out uh with the green space um we actually received um 1.2 million dollars to expand one of the pocket parks in my district mm-hmm. and then we received a 10 million dollar bulk um donation from senator dave min to do parking missions all coast to Mesa, so those that that pot of money about um well one like eleven point two million dollars is going to go to expanding parks in, in my district, right? And also doing some rehab work in Fairview Park, which are, are like nature reserve park in coast to Mesa. Mm. So happy to do progress, but again, I think for me the role of city really is simple. It's, it's is everyone safe? Is fire police funded? Are the streets paved? I like that. And then like, do you have enough revenue to do things for your community for your community? And, you know, better services, better amenities, things like that. And that's why I wanted to have you on because um, I always tell clients when you're looking to purchase in a particular area, look at the city, look at the city council, mm-hmm. see how things are being run there because that's going to really tell you whether your price appreciation is going to happen or not mm-hmm. and how rent is as well. So all that really matters. That's how I'm, by talking politics a little bit here, I'm tying it back to the channel Full Count Yeah, uh, because Full Count's all about business and real estate and you know at the end of the day as a city council member or someone that works for the city in a position that you do it comes down to business Mm -hmm. a lot of it like you said you said revenue and safety without safety you won't get revenue right yeah and it's it's really really important and i think it's it's important for cities to be um looking for ways to enhance their community i think there's a couple cities in orange county that are really proactive and i think that's where i want to make costa mesa to, um, to get to that point okay um like most things in life cities kind of go through a pendulum right where it's you know they go from like being revenue centric to being resident centric and they kind of revenue centric to um resident centric resident centric okay. so i feel like right now we're kind of in a resident centric era of costa mesa what does that mean so what that means what that means in my in my eyes is prioritizing like capital projects like like bike lanes like okay. new park expansions versus bringing in like more revenue I've tried my best to be balanced in my approach. I've always felt like if I want to do cool things in Costa Mesa, I have to make sure I'm bringing in revenue. And I don't like taxing people, taxing more people. So it's how do you attract businesses. Um, so one thing I'll like share that. with you, 
it's a little controversial, but I'll share with with the with the with the as podcast. much controversy as possible. <laughs> is, um, Just kidding. Whatever you want to do. Uh, yeah, back in back in 2020, the city council. Um, so it, it was Mayor Foley at the time, uh, Pro Tem John Stevens, another mayor, and myself were part of a cannabis ad hoc group, and our goal was to figure out how we can increase the revenue for our cannabis manufacturing, which we allow in Costa Mesa mm-hmm. since 2016. What we realized when we were looking at, at the tax rates they were going through was one, it was too high. Back then it was at around 8%. And, it, and the cannabis industry was being taxed 8% by the city of Costa Mesa and then by the state of California. Oh, so it was double tax. Them, yeah. so, so, so imagine being in a new budding industry and being taxed double. So what we realized was we couldn't really fix the tax for the state. That's that's their that's their apparatus, but we could fix it at Costa Mesa. So right. we dropped it down to 1%. And Damn, we, that's a big difference. And because we were competing with Long Beach, because Long Beach wanted to do something similar. So again, it's always good to have competition. Competition always makes things better. Exactly. Well, do you know what the tax base was in Long Beach at that time? Yeah, so Long Beach ended up lowering it to zero percent. Because they were trying to just get get jobs for their residents. Mm. So you know, they're a different city, bigger city. They have different different problems trying to solve. Right. They wanted to solve a problem of like how how you get folks jobs. So in Costa Mesa, it was more like how we stay competitive and make sure this industry doesn't die. Well, is that because of, so the different strategies in a way from Long Beach to Costa Mesa, because Costa Mesa already has revenue coming in, as you kind of had stated earlier, mm-hmm. and Long Beach didn't really necessarily have that. Is that kind of why? Long Beach. They, they made it to zero and you had it at one? Yeah. So what happened was Long Beach went, went to zero percent first and they were doing it because they were trying to just get people employed. So they viewed it as like, oh, if we make... Uh, zero tax rate for these businesses. They can hire more people. Right. So in Long Beach and also in Costa Mesa, all the cannabis shops work with labor unions to have like better wages for their workers. Sure. So that was their way of like getting their economy stimulated. It's like, oh, lower tax for the business. Okay. More folks get hired because they have lower tax rates. Right. And then hopefully with that, they'll spend that money in the city. For Costa Mesa, it was different. For Costa Mesa, the the, the cannabis industry began by a ballot initiative back in 2016. They zoned one portion of the city north of the 405, an mm-hmm. industrial area. They zoned it for um, anything cannabis, so distribution, manufacturing, everything except dis- dis- um, everything except retail or selling it directly to the residents mm-hmm. and cultivation or growing it. So what we noticed was because it was in one section, um, the owners of that section could gouge the, the, the rents up. Because the, the oh, demand was only in that section. Right. So no competition. Exactly. Again, all back to free market. It's all about having competition and having the ability to compete. And yep. um, so we came into that, we, we formed that ad hoc for that reason. But what we realized was that even with lowering the tax rate to one percent, these businesses wouldn't be successful unless there was enough legal retail cannabis to sell their legal product into. Mm. Be- because state of California decriminalized cannabis. Right. That meant that if you own a legal cannabis shop and you're told to shut down, you get you get penalties, you don't go to jail. So we saw in Coast Mesa there's a lot of like legal illegal trap shops, a lot of legal cannabis shops. Mm-hmm. So you said legal or illegal? Illegal, sorry, illegal. 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 So what, illegal. what we saw as an ad hoc was one, there's a need to create more legal cannabis cannabis right. um, dispensaries. There's a need to fight the illicit cannabis, the illegal ones that weren't following rules. And I feel like when I would drive by even Coast Mesa or other neighborhoods, you would just see like uh you see like a hole in the wall and you kind of already knew that that mm-hmm. was a marijuana spot. So yeah. Are those probably the illegal spots? Those, the those are the illegal spots. Okay. Um, and then the final component was we saw an opportunity to revitalize some of these older and like semi-industrial old commercial strips with, 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 with cannabis retail. Mm. So what we did was we don't want to be presumptuous. You know, we're, we're a cannabis ad hoc. So we're spending more time on the issue. The three of us decided it's best to go to the voters. So we actually made a ballot initiative asking residents of Costa Mesa if they wanted to allow having um, legalized cannabis um, retail. And it passed like 66% of the vote. 66 percent of the Jeez, vote. That's, it, that's high, isn't it? It's like for every, every, for like every 10 people, 6.5 said we would want this. So we crafted the ordinance in a way where it would have to be in commercial areas that were kind of like in need of a re- rehab. So there's still some restrictions. Yeah. So basically, basically it has to be 500 feet away from schools, parks, sensitive uses like like mm-hmm. teen centers. And see what, why it passed. That makes yeah. Sense. And, um, and the money was supposed, and the money is going to all general fund, which is code for 
police, firefighters, park expansions. Nice. And yeah. then half and then half of 1% is going to fund the arts master plan, which is a plan we have in Costa Mesa to have more art in the city. Again, to enhance more of the cool factor and enhance more property values mm. for those that own businesses and own homes. And also half percent is going for a first time home buyer program. Wow. So okay. we're trying to do our part to, that. yeah. So, so that's how you capture a little bit of everyone. Exactly. The goal, the goal in politics is, is, the, is the art of compromise and persuasion. It's who can you persuade and how do you find a common ground? And you said three of you put that to the ballot box. Yeah. Who, what three were there? You and... It was me, the old mayor, Katrina Foley, okay. and, and the current mayor, John Stevens. Okay. And and we were very intentional. We know cannabis was a little, it's a bit controversial. It still is, yeah. Yeah, and we wanted it to be, to be done by the by the residents. But that was one way for us to create more revenue. And it makes sense. With, mean, without That's taxing. the argument. Yeah. And then, but the other argument is that it, people don't like the way it smells. People don't like what it might bring to the city but the way you said it how you guys persuaded them and it's actually a good argument is essentially it feeds into mm-hmm. you said the arts it feeds into the fire yeah police and all that and what was the other one that you said um and it was a first time home buyer program first time home buyer. now that's huge because considering what's the crisis in california yeah not enough housing not enough people young people have the money and means to purchase so yeah so, so that's kind of what a city does their job is to solve the problem for residents like the, the basics mm-hmm. like potholes and, and lights is to find more revenue to have money to play with for the residents, right? And I, I think a big part of it really is is it's bringing in revenue. Like that's the part that's so under undervalued at times for city governments. Yeah, and you also said persuasion, though. Yeah. How do you how, how do you use persuasion? Well, to get your point across. Yeah. Well, you know, think about democracy. That's great, and which everyone should vote is like using a majority to get anything passed. So persuasion comes with your council members. It's like, you know, how can we get them on board with something I want to do? How right. can how we, can we find common ground? To push things forward right what i've found as the country gets more and more polarized is the more local you get the more room there is for compromise and persuasion and conversation and collaboration right um i that's think that's good that's smart yeah and, and i think um city level is really important because again like that's what dictates how your community is like you know you know you have cities in orange county they're trying to like um take funding away from from police officers and we're trying to give more money to officers in costa mesa and that's always very interesting coming from someone in your party. In my yeah. opinion, sometimes you hear on the you know on the media or social media because you're a Democrat, right? Yeah, you're a Democrat a council member. I mean, there was a time in 2020, 2021 when everybody wanted to feel not everybody, but a lot of people wanted to defund the police and things like that. And it's a little bit different from what you're telling me. Yeah, one thing I've I've, I've realized is everyone see no one wants to see an officer when they're doing good things, but everyone wants an officer when when something bad happens. Right. And what we've seen on the city level is that people people like their officers. You know, you know, you know they don't want to be, they don't want to be bothered or or disturbed for, for unjust reasons. But fundamentally, they're part of what keeps the city safe, right? It's part 100%, of hundred percent. Yeah. So for Costa Mesa, like we recently actually, because right now there's currently like a, a shortage of officers joining the profession, probably because of the, of the big movements that happened back in 2020, 2021. We actually augmented. The, the wages for our officers to ensure we weren't losing them to other, other, other agencies. So some agencies like, like, like Luna Beach are having to pay bonus, like, like signing bonuses to have officers join their city. Interesting. You said augmented, right? Yeah. So Laguna Beach, for example, and, and a lot of things in coast in Orange County are having to do signing bonuses for officers because there's not enough people joining the profession. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to have, um, the tr- have the city council members advocate on behalf of the, the police department and, the, and and them understand that we have that we know where they're coming from. It's obviously a tough job. There's always going to be some bad apples. But right. what I always said is I want to make sure that, that the officers are doing their job, making sure community is protected, aren't being impacted by, by these bad apples. So, you know, if that looks like more training, happy to do it. But in Costa Mesa, it's really important to have a good tie. So for, for context, so in Costa Mesa, and it's, we're going to see in Orange County because our police department really believes in community policing. So what does that mean? Exactly. Good question, right? Community policing is the idea that your officers have ties to the community and that their the goal is to be approachable for the public. So back when I was growing up um, during like the, the early Obama years, 2009, 2010, um, a then council member wanted to have the ICE department, you know, come to come work alongside our, 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 our police department. Mm. Our police chief said, we don't want that because 
they realize the moment there's a perception that we have ICE working with the police department, separation. it separates the community. <clears throat> Some folks are immigrants, won't call the police if there's an issue. So they've been very, very intentional since the beginning to make sure that we're always working with the community. I see. Um, e even, even when a prior council had a discussion about um, sanctuary cities, banning it, not banning it, and it got really contentious, the police chief came out and said, we want to trust the community, this condition divides the community. So to me, that demonstrates that our department is one that trusts to serve the community and have ties to the community. And what I've seen in my community is, again, folks don't want to don't want to see cops. They don't want to interact with them because they're scared of you know, in your over. particular community. Or yeah. Just speaking in general. Um, even even in general, like most people, you know, don't want to ever engage with officer. They don't want to get pulled over. They don't want to. Oh, yeah. you know, usually, get... when you when you meet with an officer, it's usually a bad thing. Yeah. So, unfortunately, or you're getting saved and you're still in a bad position anyway. Yeah, but but they want to know that they're that they're there to like help. Right. So we do a good job of, of funding, of working with our school district to fund SROs or officers in the schools. I see. Because they help the few situations. Right. We do a good job of trying to make sure we have a fully staffed police department and that there's trust among both ways. I know in my community, um, again, I'm in District 4. It's um, a more lower income part of the city. You know, I do my best to make sure we have, you know, coffee with a cop in my district. That makes sure That's good. Meet, I see meet, that on Instagram. Officers. Yeah. Um, and that builds trust in community. Right. Because our goal in the council is we want members of the community to feel, to feel confident calling the police. Because if you don't call the police, that, that's when problems start arising. Okay. So the, there's been a major improvement in Costa Mesa then from like 2009, 10 till yeah. today because of the community policing. Mm -hmm. I think I told you about the story once, right? About when I wanted to be a police officer. I went on a ton of ride-alongs in Costa Mesa just because I happened to know officers there. And I decided this wasn't for me. Yeah. Just because it was nothing but picking up homeless people mm -hmm. and taking them certain places. I don't even remember at that time. This was 2012, I think. And I remember a good handful of cops were just telling me how city council was against the yeah. police officers, the police department. And then you shared something with me over a drink. And I had no idea. But the was it the mayor at the time was Republican? Yeah. And I would have thought the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. That they she would have been in support of the cops, but in in reality, at that time, that mayor was against the police department. Yeah, and, and this is probably a good example of, of back to the, my point about all, politics, about persu persuasion and compromise, right? Or the art of persuasion and compromise, because there's always people that have like these terrible ideas, right? So this this Republican council, um, or majority of the council in 2009, yeah, yeah, um, 2010 to like 20, 2014, okay. 15. They were um, anti-union Republicans, so their whole mantra was like every union's bad, including police unions. Oh, but, I understand. But the reality in any in any ideology or any theoretical perspective is always caveats, there's always exceptions. What ended up happening was they were so anti-union, they're trying to defund the police because their ultimate goal was to like go to like a service contract city where we would contract with like the Orange County sheriffs instead of the actual city police. Yeah, which I think is a place for it for communities. But for Costa Mesa, it's better to have your own police department right. because they have more ties to the city. Again, okay. it all goes back to the whole idea of community <clears throat> policing. So, so then it's not so much that that mayor was against police necessarily; it was she was against unions. Yeah. And instead, she wanted to get bring the sheriffs to get rid of that union. Yeah, is what it really is. But but the, but the side effect of that of that of that was the reality, which is yeah, the officers felt undervalued. They right. felt like yep. they weren't getting support. Yep. They, they were getting uh, funding cut. So theoretically, they weren't against police to, uh, yeah. per se, but in reality, they, they were. And that's what you, we were talking about at one point earlier, that there's theory and then there's reality. You got to apply to it. And you yeah. got to work with both. You mm -hmm. can't just go based on theory because then you things can obviously shift in a different direction. Yeah. When reality sets in. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things that I'm giving the city council for because because we're on the lowest level of government, you know, we're the, we're the closest to the, to the ground of the people. It's a lot more practicality than it is theory sometimes, which I think is better for everyone. Right. And is that why you, you, you were saying how it's important to focus on city because of, mm -hmm. because of that? Okay. Yeah. Now you, you mentioned something earlier about your district. Yeah. Being, did you say, I don't want to put words in your mouth. Did you say um, like lower income? Yeah. As opposed to all of Costa Mesa, you're, mm -hmm. that one tends to be the more lower income and why? Yeah. So um, my district for context is those in Costa Mesa is between Harbor Boulevard and Placentia, south of the golf course down to about Shalimar 
on and, and Shalimar um, Drive. That's the most dense part of the city. It's the, the most renters live there. Is that because it's a bunch of like multifamily? Yeah, apartments? yeah, and it's also the oldest part of Costa Mesa. Oh, so it's it's the part of Costa Mesa that you know has been the longest. So people kind of like like that's gonna feel longest time. So my district is is unique in that sense because while Costa Mesa is about 53% renters versus homeowners, the majority of them are in my district. So, wow. so for me, you know, the way I approach city council is different than other people that have, you know, like, per, you know, primarily track home housing or, or more or more home ownership in their districts. For me, it's more about bringing in services, showcasing um, their needs to, to the community at large and making sure we're trying to solve their problems. Mm. So for example, in my district, a huge problem was the lack of, um, lack of street parking, right? That's a big issue because a lot, a lot more multi-unit multi housing. Yeah, they need a, like, obviously they're going to need more parking. Yeah, so. Well, it makes sense. Yeah, so when I, so the past four years, I pushed forward uh, an act to reform our existing permit parking, par parking permit system so that any person could get a, par a, par a parking permit. Mm. Prior to the reform, it was only streets that were entirely R1 zoning or all single family home zoning they can get permits. But there were some streets or some homeowners that felt a bit forgotten because their street may be, you know, half homes, half like single family homes and then half apartments. And they can get a permit even though they needed more because they had more impact in their street. Mm -hmm. So we reformed that alongside the way we're looking at create, creating, excuse me, creating um, like certain zones where people can park in a certain area. So we're currently working on an MOU with a neighboring church in my district. What does MOU mean? Um, Memorandum of Understanding so that people with with uh, a permit a permit from the city can park in their parking lot overnight oh that's cool so basically what it would it is we're trying to figure out how how it work but it might be like we'll repave their parking lot every summer years along to give people access to park overnight okay so it's a it's a voluntary thing mm -hmm. because someone they each side get benefits exactly okay i like that so because like i'm i'm not for a government of any kind coming in and for the most part and, and restricting people yeah. a certain way. But from what you're telling me, you guys also give back to them by it's, redoing their parking lot. It's a partnership. It has to be a partnership always. Okay. Um, it, it, it's a win-win, right? Our, our first homeless shelter actually was a partnership. So our first homeless shelter actually was in a church. It was in a, it was in a church's um, parking garage, or sorry, um, the, the parking lot. Right. So what it was, was the city bought about four bungalows converted them to like be beds slash one was like a, a restroom. And then the church got the chance to serve the homeless residents, which they liked and got a few capital improvements to their church property. And we had a location mm. for a shelter. Yeah. We also, and I didn't add this for homeless shelter conversation, but the first homeless shelter was actually in the middle of the like downtown Costa Mesa and no one knew it was there because we had 24 hour patrols so that folks couldn't, couldn't walk up to the shelter, but also, we don't allow residents to just walk out of the shelter. There's a bus that'll take them to pre-chosen spots of the city. So one was like, you know, one was like this, like the senior center, one was like the postal office, one was like a bus stop. Because again, these are residents that have jobs. They, they may not have a home, but they have jobs. Right. So we want to make sure that we weren't impacting our, our residents as we transition towards a more permanent homeless shelter. So it's all it's all about trying to find these like common ground in, in these like win-win situations. That's what I like about government. It's like, you know, you could be passive, but really, if you want to solve problems, you have to find ways to bring everyone together and create buy-in for the whole community. I like that. I mean, I feel like I would already vote for you in a way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. A very very high compliment. <laughs> yeah, no, it really is. Considering uh, we have different beliefs, but um, no, no, that's. That's good because I've gone around other neighborhoods of Orange County because I sell throughout all of Orange County and LA too, but um, I don't see too much of an issue in Costa Mesa. And from what you're telling me, it's starting to make sense why I don't see it as often yeah. as other cities that I don't want to name, but that's really interesting. Yeah, and, and I'll share a bit about the effects of it regionally. So obviously Costa Mesa was one of the first cities to create a homeless shelter. Um, it, I, I think we're like the, one of the very few, very, very few. But what happened was when, when, when cities realized that we were able to enforce anti-camping ordinances because of our homeless shelter, they were quick to either create their own shelters or, 
or or like buy beds at different shelters. So mm-hmm. what we're seeing now is so you guys set the tone. Yeah. So what we're seeing now in Orange County is most of the central and north county cities have already kind of figured out their 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 shelter situation. Either they have a shelter or they um, lease rent beds or buy beds from a shelter. And then we're seeing the homeless problem now rise more in South Orange County cities, so it's like San Clemente and others, because because they're not moving, right, 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 right. The 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 the, the um, templates there, it's have your own shelter or buy beds, and you can enforce anti-cabin ordinances, but they're choosing to not do so. So now the residents can say, hey, well, like, how can we don't just buy a bed? How can we don't make your own shelter? Like, there's now a reason. To, to what's their argument for not doing it though? Considering what you're telling me, that if you have an actual area for them to go, you can do anti-camping. Yeah, I, I can't speak for them. Um, I I don't know. I, I don't want to speak on their behalf. They have their own their own values and stuff. But I know speaking with some friends I have down in South County, a lot of them want to make their own shelter or rent beds. See, and the irony is there's actually now a benefit in having a homeless shelter in your city. It's now an asset that brings in revenue. Because we have a partnership with Newport Beach. And that brings us revenue to help offset the cost of our, our homeless shelter. So in some ways, how's that work though? Um, how's that partnership work? You know, Newport Beach had a had a big need for for homeless for homeless shelter. Um, they they had looked originally to create their own homeless shelter at the border of Costa Mesa because they, they own a, a shipyard or, or a corporate yard right in the border of Costa Mesa. But what they realized happened was their residents weren't really in favor of the idea of having a homeless shelter in their city. I'm, I'm thinking like how San Clemente can use, subsidize another city to, because mm-hmm. we're talking about San Clemente earlier as an yeah. example, who they can subsidize to house their homeless people. Yeah. Would, well, it, you know, I would think Dana Point would want to do, would work with San Clemente in a way, because Dana Point's more prestigious in a way. I, I could see like, I, I could see, and it's interesting because the South County cities, they, they're different, they're different than, they, they have different regards for themselves. So I'm curious to see who will move first in South County. It, you know, I don't want to name any cities because as you said, they, right. their own politics, right. but I think whatever city moves first will have a lot of leverage and uh-huh. in discussions. Yeah, this is where I would love to have also a Republican person too, to, so I can hear their point of view. But I don't know, man. Like I've I've sat down with other politicians that are Democrat too, and I've never gotten an explanation like you did. It's usually more like rhetoric and narrative and pushing certain things rather than an actual plan. Yeah, so, and and I think you know. But I think I think I don't think you're sorry to cut you off. Yeah. I don't think you're necessarily all that way in one direction, like on the extreme side. No. Right. No, and because you're talking about capitalism, competition. Sorry, but go ahead. No, it's it's look. I mean, we can have discussion about how fair capitalism is, and um, you know, the, the fault of the system itself. There's always we're having discussions on, on that, but that's what we live in. We live in a capitalist society, so it's like, how can we work our solutions in alignment with that and create opportunities for ourselves to right. solve problems? Because ultimately, again, like I'll, I'll go back to cannabis with us seeing an opportunity to, to revitalize old commercial strips like that can only happen through competition it right. can only happen through creating an incentive for someone to buy a property to rehab it right and in that case it was through through the through cannabis sales but it's still at the end of the day a benefit because as you know if, if you fix one you know to have one shop in a strip mall the whole mall just look, the whole strip mall just look good right right it, it can be one store looks good and, and three look bad people won't go yeah so it's about finding these opportunities, and I think that's what the little about government is finding opportunities to um, bring revenue, create more safety, and create cool amenities. Um, one thing I'll talk to you about quickly is also uh, a statewide opportunity right now with the current governor pushing building more housing. As you know, there's a big Newsom. need for housing. Yeah, Governor Newsom's pushing really big on housing. Um, every eight years, for the audience's awareness, um, the state gives cities um a, a number it's, it's called the regional housing needs assessment rena um this cycle has been a really aggressive cycle the governor wants to see housing be built so he's giving a lot of cities in, in, in southern california big numbers um coast to me for example was given the number of um 11,760. okay and what that means is we don't have to build that much housing it's a lot of housing to build but we need a zone for it or change the land law so that people can build homes 
how recent did he push that? This was pushed around like 2019. Okay. So right now we're hearing a lot about is probably Huntington Beach pushing back on that. And so his measure is spills over throughout the entire state. Yeah. But Huntington Beach precisely is yeah. fighting against it. Yeah. So Huntington Beach has taken the, the stance of um, this is a state mandate. We don't want to do it. And they're suing the state of California in a federal court. So trying to supersede California. Their argument is the state can't tell cities how to zone. The state of California is suing Huntington Beach because they're not compliant and they're not following the, the state law, which is to rezone X number of houses for the city because each city is different. Right. Um, and I feel like while, you know, those residents have those feelings and, and, and they want their council to fight the state, I view it as an opportunity to really kind of create a new vision for each city. So in Costa Mesa, for example, we actually just did another housing about initiative. This one passed by only 22 votes, so it was a lot more close than the cannabis yeah, one. Yeah. That would allow us to um, upzone certain areas of the city or create higher density. Okay. So that was primarily the big corridors of Costa Mesa, so like Harbor Boulevard, Newport Boulevard, Placentia Boulevard, um, north of the 405. Okay. So our idea right now in Costa Mesa is we want to bring in the community, because again, it, the measure already passed, get their vision of how we want to build Costa Mesa and become more attractive for future homeowners, future renters, future businesses. Our idea right now is the north of the 405. Yep. Um, most people don't don't think of that as Costa Mesa, even though it is, mm -hmm. it's north of the freeway. That's like by Palm Valley? Yeah, by Palm Valley, by, 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 um, by Santa. Our vision is that whole that whole corridor could be a corridor where people live and work, like on the west end, like near the freeway, uh -huh. and then they bike or walk or bus to work at Andrew and Pecos Plaza on the east end. It's creating a kind of a community corridor to not only to not only have more housing, but make them act make, make a more active space so that these businesses have more customers nearby, and create a more walkable, bikeable community where where, where, where where people can recreate, spend money, bring, give us more tax revenue. That makes sense. Yeah. To, but real quick, what exactly north of the four hundred five? That's close to me, so people mm -hmm. assume it could be Fountain Valley. What's there currently right now? So currently right now, because um, I, I, off the top of my head, I can't, yeah, I can't think what's yeah. there right so now. So on the east end, you have Sacos Plaza and like Metro Point. Mm -hmm. Then you have a few tra track homes. Then you have a lot of like the potential. So Andrew's coming in, but on, on, Andrew's on, at um, uh, defense yeah. contracting company. Right? Yeah, they're they're coming in um, on on Herb Boulevard, and then everything west Herb Boulevard is just industrial. So that okay. has a lot of potential to be like dense, denser housing. Right. Well, like opportunities for like home ownership, opportunities for like just higher, higher, you know, high quality um, apartments to help create a, a like new, you know, like engine and corridor of a north coast of Mesa. So that that kind of makes sense to me because you're already you're you're affecting an area that's not necessarily already where a bunch of people already live in single family homes. So you're building there. Yeah, but I think where the, the the question or the 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 issue lies when it's a single family residence mm -hmm. and you're tr and people try to convert it to an apartment area. Yeah, that and sense. and that, that that's the, that's the pushback, right? Yeah, and, and that was the reason why we 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 go we went for this house this um bowel initiative was we wanted to build a housing in the least impactful way to the residents that live in Costa Mesa. What we see in Costa Mesa, which is common for most cities in Orange County is there's usually a like a few big corridors that have businesses on it and then between those streets are houses so we what we figured out was like if we want to build more housing we want to make sure we're preserving the quality of neighborhoods and preserving you know because you know people at homes and as you know as a realtor like that's usually their biggest investment in their life right their 100%. biggest like asset yeah so they're, they're naturally going to be fearful of any changes um, and, we, and we saw that in the votes, like predominantly homeowners didn't vote for the measure, even though it was designed to, pr to protect them because they had that fear. And, you know, it's naturally how that fear of like change. But our vision is we really want to just like upzone these corridors, have like mixed use. And then that north corridor of both 405, that's like the crown jewel. That's where we think the most housing could be. That's where we think the most opportunity could be for jobs and the most opportunity could be for like increased revenue. So interesting. No, but that area that's industrial, those are businesses there too. Right? Mm -hmm. 
So how does that work? Do they have to just sell to the city? Yeah. So again, the key of Rena that I think everyone forgets is that cities have to just zone. They don't have to actually build. So what we'll we'll probably do and we're in the discussion is we'll probably create an overlay zone or create like a complete change of the zone, which says if you want to sell your property, you can sell it to become housing development. Mm. So that that's our that's our goal is again we don't want to push anyone out but right. for those that own property in those in this in these areas they now have an extra benefit and they can sell their, their property to build okay. housing i get what you're saying and i mean does that kind of happen too when people want to expand the freeways to some degree a little bit so that's a little bit different right? yeah that's more the state um just kind of yeah, you're right. It is do, doing eminent domain, eminent unfortunately, domain. which so which we don't want to do. It's not eminent domain. What you're no, no. Okay, that's all, what I figured. All yeah, all we're doing is just changing the um, the zoning or changing what the land can be used for. So every city, every city in America, land has zones that, that that say what they can and can be used for. That's kind of why we have like homes where homes are, and there aren't factories next to homes, right? Because the zoning says it can only be used for this <clears throat> this purpose. So. That's the challenge that most cities are facing now in in all of California, and um, I'm curious to hear, hear your take of, of you know you know how how more housing stock will impact home prices and stuff. But the governor's governor is really big on pushing housing. He sees the need to build more housing, and you yeah, know, you know the cities have to adapt to it. So it comes down to right, right. Um, I'm conflicted with that one because I haven't done enough research to kind of mm-hmm. give you my input on that, and two, um, I just for my own learning purposes and probably the audience too, he, this measure he already pushed, it's already into law, right? Yeah. Does he have to oversee cities implementing this in order for him not to go after them like Huntington Beach? How's that work? Yeah. Like, do you have to, as a city, do you have to put in some type of initiative to show the governor that you're following this? Oh, that's a great question. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So every city, so I mentioned before the arena allocation process that happens every eight years. Um, there's a, a the, every city has to submit a housing element oh. to the state or a housing plan, in other words, saying, Oh, this is where we plan to build the housing. Mm. So, what's happening right now with the governor, Governor Newsom, what he's doing is this it's really hard to zone for this many housing units this quickly because zone changes take, take a lot of time. He's shown that he is content with cities to just submit a housing element that showcases where they plan to change the zoning for the housing. So he wants to see that you're okay. being like a good fit measure, that you're trying to actually like accommodate the number he's giving you. Right. So he's like Huntington Beach, they're saying, no, we don't, want, we don't want to do that. That's who the governor is choosing to focus on. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah. And, he, and their, their argument is this is, uh, well, number one, they don't want to do it. They don't, but yeah. they're also saying that the state is overstepping their powers. And that's why they're 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 suing yeah. federally against yeah. them. Yeah, that that is their argument. And okay. again, it has to be federally because they're challenging the state's laws to supersede them. Yeah, so it'd be interesting. I'm not sure how it was going to turn out. I mean, so yeah, that is interesting. I I think go on and on for that on um, days talking about that. Yeah, and honestly, like I, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, lawsuits are, you know, even lawyers tell you they don't know how lawsuits going to go. They have ideas, right, they don't right. have the actual fact base, like. What's what's the the argument though to rezone an area though? Uh, from my understanding, because I I've heard um, homeowners talk about this a little bit. Their concern is if you rezone their given neighborhood per, per se, even though you know they're all single family homes just for simple purposes, you rezone it and people start selling their home. Developers mm. will go in there and build apartment buildings, right? Yeah, is that kind of the issue, and then parking will be an issue. Yeah, that that's a that's a concern, and I don't want to say it's legitimate because it could be legitimate due to your city's makeup. Um, in Costa Mesa, like we knew that was a concern people had, so we wanted to make sure to plan that we can say, "Hey, this is where we want to build housing. It's not where you not in your backyard. It's it's not where you live in your neighborhood. It's on the big corridors and over the four or five freeway." The state, though, that's has, what you're saying. Yeah, the state though is a bit different. The state has already shown. With a few recent state laws that they are willing to um, push down on single family homes. So two big laws, SB9 and SB10, 
Um, one of them allows you to create a granny flat or like a ADU yep, yep. in the back, which someone, I see that happening everywhere. Yeah, and as you know, some owners view it as a, a, a way to raise their property value. Yeah, to create more to create more like cash flow too. Yep, because because you know you can rent it out to someone else. Um, there's also another state law that would allow you to like um, split up your lot if it's big enough to like four lots. So that's probably what most folks are concerned about. Um, is that SB10 then? SB10, yeah. Okay. Is that, is that is that kind of correlated to Rena? Yeah. So um, cities are allowed to use ADUs as part of the Rena Rena numbers allocation. Cities are it's still a new thing, right? Cities are still figuring out how to streamline it, how how it's going to play out. Um, what we have seen in cities in Coast Mesa, at least, is that every year there's more and more applications. As more people get more used to it, or see right. if, it, if it benefits them and, and their and their goal, their property. Um, but really, what it is, it's this is the state's version of like property rights. Essentially, the state is saying we want to give the owners of the property the ability to. That's a good argument. Yeah, to get someone on the <laughs> other side. That's actually pretty creative of you. That well, I, I think I think honestly, is what it is because this policy isn't really like if you want to look at it like liberal Republican, it's more like a free market solution, right? And as I, as I said before, toys pendulums and, and everything. Right. No, no. And just to push back a little bit, the only thing I see with that is there could be an agenda to that, depending on what their priority is as the governor's yeah. priority. He I, might force this new housing and then some things can change. And look, I'm not going to get involved in the, in the state's points of views. That's for each of the yeah. Motors and the bills to talk about. In but... ten years, I'll bring you back when you're ready to stay. <laughs> <laughs> but but for me, it's just I just I right now and as a council member, you know, we have to implement state law. Like that's what it comes down to. So right. for us, it's not a question of like if like we hate it. It's just okay. We need to pass these laws now to allow ADUs. I'm all about streamlining it, making it more efficient. Because you know, again, right. b- back to revenue. Like if we make it more efficient, we can create more property value. We can get more tax from that. We can get more tax from like. No rental agreements people have with the ADU, so it's going to be it's a big conversation to have right now in California. Housing is a big topic, and um, I think what we're seeing with the state right now, and this is my 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 opinion, is the state's kind of taking a more like libertarian free market approach when it comes to housing. I think we'll see more conversations about rolling back regulations that that make housing harder and more slow slow to build. So it's wild west right now, but it's your your neighbor Newport Beach. Are they as friendly with this arena as Costa Mesa is, or would you say they're a bit different? No, we're we're pretty lockstep. So Newport okay. Beach and Costa Mesa joined other cities in in suing the state for how they allocated housing. It ultimately failed. All, it basically, all all the SoCal cities sued the the state, saying, "Hey, we think it should be a lower number." Because what happened was the state. All, all the cities you just said. Most cities, yeah. Most but not cities. Mesa. No, we did too. Oh, you guys did too. Yeah, we all we all, we all did. All of us kind of did <clears> together. <throat> um, it wasn't successful. It didn't. It didn't. What year was this? It's like 20, 2019. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, everyone, most cities felt like the number was too high, and and reason why I'll share the public and Adam said earlier was that, um. The state actually shifted a lot of the housing numbers away from the IE to the, the coastal communities. Oh shoot, yeah, that's a big problem. Because because the state <laughs> can be. the state had this mentality that like the more we create sprawl in the IE, the worse it is for the environment when, and, and the worse it is for traffic because jobs are all congestion. Yeah. So we were not happy with that because we got more housing than would have normally been expected. And I, I think that's a good argument. Yeah. Um that sounds like something both the Republicans and Democrats can agree on at that time. Yeah, I, I mean, most cities were on board. Um, I, I kind of can see that point of view too, just because no matter what anyone wants to try and um, interfere in the free market, coastal communities will always be more expensive than inland cities Yeah, for the m- most part. Um, and with that said, you can't just force a bunch of housing to come in there just so that more people can live there. And you're just going to have to commute. It just is what it is. That's why the public transit might be more important. Yeah. And, 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 the way. and back to full circle, that's why Huntington Beach is suing the state of California in federal court. Because Newport Beach and Coast Mesa kind of said, all right, fine. We, we, we tried suing and it didn't work out. Let's now 
figure out how we do it. <clears throat> because ultimately, the penalties for not having a, how, a compliant housing element are pretty severe. The penalties are um, you don't get state funding anymore. Oh, wow. So there is a carrot and there's a stick, you know. So in Costa Mesa, we, we thought it was best to just say, you know what? We tried suing. It didn't go down. Let's just figure out how we make it work. Um, oh, wow. So Costa Mesa, I mean, not Costa Mesa, Huntington Beach is just saying, the screw it. Let's yeah. just keep fighting. And, and, and I mean, they, there, there's some respect that you got to give for them <laughs> for that, too, in a way. Look, look, to each their own, right? Everyone answers, no everyone answers their own constituents, right? So Huntington Beach, the city council that's pushed, that's suing the state um, in federal court, they they were recently elected in, in 2022. Um, 22. Mm-hmm. And their whole campaign slogan was really like, if you elect us, we're going to fight the state. So oh. they're responsible for their constituents. Right. Um, and then the sense that, that they were elected to to fight Governor Governor Newsom. Okay, so they got elected for saying that they were gonna fight Newsom. Yeah, and they're fighting Newsom. Yep. So you gotta respect that. Not I'm not saying you, but in general, people gotta respect that they what they said they they told their constituents or the voters that they were gonna do this and now they're doing it. Yeah, and that's why I get a pivot to the campaign side of, of what I do because yeah. I think the way someone campaigns really demonstrates what their priorities are gonna be and what they're gonna focus on, right? Right. So Huntington Beach they, the community felt the need, and, and they felt a draw from that perspective. When I got elected in Costa Mesa back in 2018, the the perspective people wanted was they wanted to voice the city council. So I mentioned before that my district was kind of the most like lower income, like district four. District four, yeah, it's um mostly renters. There's a few homeowners as well, a few strips of homeownership, but it's really a, a renter heavy um, district. So the campaign for me in 2018 was really a couple of things. It was one just convincing folks to vote for a 23 year old because I was all the time yeah that one was actually easier than than you believe because I grew up in the city and I grew up in that district so it was was pretty simple to be like hey this is your street there's a pothole on that street for this many years the crack on that sidewalk like this is the issue for the community like you know like it was easy to have that connectivity because I grew up in that district right right but my campaign really focused on and I said it before it was like lack of open space it was more investments in the community um and it was solving our homeless homeless crisis this was when you first ran yeah right? in 2018 um in 20 in 2022 i, I ran on a post that was probably the best what best, does that mean ran out of running a post no one ran against me okay so go, just go, going back to 2018 the, the person you were running against were they also democrat or were they republican or how's that work no i had two opponents um one was a, a democrat um asian male and one was a, a republican latino woman so, oh wow! So minorities, yeah. So going up against each other, yeah. So it wasn't like a. It was it was pretty it was pretty hard campaign. I mean, the way I won that election was basically just knocking every door twice personally. Um, so you did it the old school way. Did the old school the way, way, yeah. It's supposed to be done in a way. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they um the that's the, what I do for a living. I door knock. Okay, it, so I, I know you I know how hard it is. It's the door. Hard, yeah. <laughs> so um you know the the Asian gentleman he didn't. He was self-funded. He didn't have a big campaign. I was actually outfunded by my by my Republican opponent. But what it comes rather what I love about local politics is that because it's local, it's money only goes so far. Like it's not like in Congress or like governor, where like you know usually where has the most money wins. Okay. There's more ads and more like more and more like publicity. At a local level, it's really about like who can talk to the most voters and and earn their support. Sense. So for me, I, my approach was simple. It was just, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to fix, I'm trying, trying to be a voice in the community. When you solve homelessness, we have more green space. And what happened for me, it was a blessing, was back to my mom, who always volunteered, because she always volunteered, people knew who she was. That right? In, huh? Right? A little bit. I, I, I was 23, so all my friends still live at home. They could all vote for me. And their parents could all vote for me. Wow. Um, my stepdad was, was a custodian at a local school, so they all knew him. So what happened was people organically either knew me or more likely knew someone that knew me and my close family. Wow. So I think that was the the really big push was because, again, I had overcome my age and I think it did a good job of it. But I think I think the biggest factor was that people thought I worked hard and I cared and that they people knew who I was. And like, oh, we know him. He went to school at UCI. He didn't leave Costa Mesa. His mom volunteered. Yeah. And, and that I think, I think that was a key, honestly. What's the term in politics where you jump around different areas for an advantage? Oh, it's called the carpet bagging. Carpet bagging. Yeah. So it, it happens more in Congress, honestly. Okay. Because because Congress doesn't require you to live in your district. Right. But in, they call the RFK that. 
Really? Back he got, in the day. Really? Yeah, because he was, um, I think at the time, because they're from Boston, mm-hmm. and he went to New York, and they called him a carpetbagger. New York has a history of carpet bagging. I mean, I mean, Hillary Clinton moved from Arkansas, remember, to oh, New York. Oh, that's right. I don't know what it is on New York. York. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, but um, but yeah. So like for me, that was kind of the crux of the election. And I think, you know, I think a lot could be gleaned from a candidate and a politician from their campaigns, mm-hmm. right? And I think as as you know, and watching the podcast, like really look at how someone campaigns. Like, what's their message, right? Like, what 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 are they, what are they trying, trying to to promote? Is it, is it the standard, like you know? Political playbook, or they're trying to push new ideas. Um, always look at who's paying for the mail in California. Every mail piece that's political has to have say who paid for it. Okay. You know, is it the candidate? Check the fine print. Yeah, yeah. You know, is it the candidate paying for? It or is it some like weird interest group paying for it? Well, that's um, a good tip. Yeah, but more importantly, what I always say is like, vote for a candidate that you know is from the community and see for the right reasons, right? Like, no, vote for somebody who you know, who you believe will actually for the community. Because that's going to impact your property value, the quality of life of the city, for sure, and and what we'll and how the city goes. You know, city councils are are the conduit which people view a city. If a city council isn't isn't friendly to business, people say, "Oh, the city the city's anti business." Right. That's why I tell my clients, look at the city council members, or look who's running and who's mm-hmm. likely going to win, because they could really steer things away for you. Yeah. In your in your in home ownership. Or, or be proponents of like home ownership and right. things like that. So I think it's, you know, back full circles of real estate, like after you buy a home, like that's the next thing that's going to impact the price of your home. Is yeah. the council in my city, I think it's best to ensure we have quality parks, have quality funding for police and fire, you know, making sure we have good revenue stream for our city or the city council that's kind of just doing it for their own reasons and mm-hmm. they don't really prioritize the residents. I think that's that's a good point because a lot of homeowners tend to get more involved with stuff like this because mm-hmm. they're homeowners and they're paying those taxes and things like that. And the renters don't always really pay attention to things like that. Is that right? A little bit. I mean, it's interesting in Costa Mesa because we're a primarily renter city. Right. But um, by in part, it's easier to be invested when you live somewhere long term. And odds are to buy a home, it's more likely you live there long term than a renter. There's still, renters, sense, yeah. there's still renters that stay long term. Um, oh yeah for sure you know but like sometimes some stay forever dude yeah but but like i think that's the mark of someone that's more likely to get involved in the communities like how long they've been there right and, and what's their stake in the community yeah so you know renters also have a lot of buying in the community they stay long enough in the community i think the biggest um indicator that someone's gonna get involved and has interest is how long they live in a, in a, in a community mm. homeowners typically have more of it because they generally you know right. they own the property but owners you know if they live with me long enough they also have the same level of engagement as, as homeowners it's just a little harder sometimes to be engaged when they might leave to another location I, i'd like to see if there's any statistics with that because we know we have statistics on homeowners how long they stay in a given area mm-hmm. and the trend used to be seven to eight years before the financial crisis wow after the financial crisis and the longer we go away from that time period right now it's like trending 13 to 15 years that oh. homeowners stay in their home but it, it it's gone almost double is what we're seeing wow. because property prices are more expensive and things like that people are staying a lot longer so i wonder how long tenants tend to stay in a given area yeah i probably i probably wager to guess that they're staying as long as the rents are affordable yeah right so like i i know in my district like a lot of residents that are renters that have been there like for like most of my life like you know 20 you know, like 20 plus years because they got in there where it was so, you know, more affordable that even with like the, the rental increases are still below market rate. Oh yeah. Because yeah. they stay in there. Yeah. That's why I always tell renters that if you leave your place and get a new rental and you don't resign, you're going to end up paying a lot more. Yeah. They can, they can raise the prices more. Yeah. But when you resign, there's always, according to California or at least Southern California, there's caps. Yeah. There's caps. So, so the state of California, passed a law recently that, that capped rental increases to 10% max, 5% every year, no matter what, mm-hmm. and then 5% yeah. more off CPI. Yeah. So I know in my, in my community, there's a lot, there's a lot more renters that have been there for a long time. And, and you see it reflected on prices people pay for rent versus what new tenants pay for rent when it goes to the market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I wanted to mention about your district, which is interesting because you said it's one of the more dense areas, more renters. I was looking up the the stats there. Yeah. Um, a townhouse, guess how much a townhouse is a, a median price or average price? I know you don't do this for a living. Probably around like 300 k 
No, dude, this is wild. But we're also talking about Southern California. Yeah, seven fifty thousand for a two or three bedroom. Seven hundred fifty thousand. A single family home in your given district is in District Four is one point one million. Wow. A single family home, but in all of Costa Mesa, when you take into account East Costa Mesa, where it's more Mm -hmm. expensive because you're adjacent to Newport Beach. When you do the whole median city, it's 1.25 million. So it's still a little bit more affordable, your district, than the other parts of uh, Costa Mesa, but it's still expensive. Yeah, and that's something that, um, you know, is, is, is we're seeing this more and more that a lot of people that grew up in Costa Mesa really can't afford to live there anymore. Yeah. It's, it's like, you know, and I, and I don't, and part of me is conflicting with it because I do understand that um, Orange County as we know it, in some ways, as I know it, it was like a, a moment in time because, you know, we, we began developing Orange County around post-World War II, right? And now we're kind of built out. Yeah. And, and you know, it's still a great place to live with all the weather and, right. you know, like the amenities. There's only so much we can do, though, with yeah. building out unless you start building up like New York City. Yeah. And, and I think, just go back full circle, full circle with Governor Newsom, like I think, you know, you, you mentioned agenda, right? Like, the, What's his agenda? I, I'm... I'm, I'm just to be transparent, I'm not a huge fan of Newsom. Yeah, I think his, his, his agenda might be creating more density to create more affordability. Yeah. But we'll see how that, how that plans out. I mean, this is all, all in flux. This is all, you know, we're, we're watching the state address its housing problems. And what I will say is it's not only a California problem. Every state has their own issues with, with housing. Mm-hmm. Most states are not in a good place when it comes to people to housing stock. But so California and, and SoCal in particular is always going to have more competition for for limited homes because of the weather, the amenities, right, and, and everything that you know makes it a great place to live. Yeah. In closing, I just want you to um, briefly go over the story of when you first got elected and you debated. Yeah. And then any tips you can give the audience or even myself on how to debate someone, considering you had to debate someone. Yeah. Well, on stage, which is kind I, of, I had, I had two debates. The first one went horribly wrong. I, it was, it was bad. I was so nervous. How old were you? Like 23? Though? I was 23. Yeah. I was 23. Um, the debate was horrible. It was a really weird debate. So what happened was it was the entire, it was all the council, all the council candidates on a couch. So that's weird enough. That's already. weird. And then you guys are all situated all weird. Yeah, and, and and then the moderator kept fighting with one of the council members, oh. ca- calling him a liar. Oh, that's not good. They gotta be kind of objective, no? Yeah, well, that, that's the that's the funny part because that that council member candidate was saying that one 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 of the one of the slate of candidates because everyone ran a slate that year, all the Dems and Republicans as, as like a team. He was accusing us of being pro needle exchange, which none of us were. But instead of letting us say we weren't pro needle exchange, mm-hmm. the moderator just kept fighting the council member oh, wow. for like 30 minutes. So it was a bad debate. I, I got like two words in. Oh, because you were just kind of on the side then. It was more yeah. between the moderator and that council member. And then what happened was because it was so limited time with that many people, like I got no words in. So I was really embarrassed. So after that, <laughs> the then mayor and then and then pro tem sat me down like, all right, cool. This is not debate prep. You did not do a good job. We got to get you better. Was it so, because you weren't aggressive enough? I too? wasn't aggressive enough. So what we figured out was spend a day with me and you'll get super aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, at the time, at the time, I probably needed that. But what, <laughs> at what the I, time, you're right. What I learned was, um, you have to just be assertive and answer your question. Oh. So it's like if there's a question about housing, mention it a little bit and go to your topic. But the important thing is how you perceive, and that's what thing is the important thing. That I'll, and I'll leave the podcast with this. There's three things about anything in politics. It's the perception. The reality and how you want to be perceived, and that part of how you want to be perceived is when you're a candidate. So they were like, "If you want to be a candidate, you need to showcase that you're confident, that you're calm under pressure, and that you can make your point across." So taking debate did a lot better. Yeah. Um. But one thing I'll say too is uh, debates like like that are, are a little different than like conversation we're having with, right now with with you, Andrew. Right. I think sometimes when we debate people people in like in real life, not like in a formal sit- setting, my goal is always to like debate to understand. So debate to hear your point of view, debate to see your perspective, debate to see where your facts are coming from, and then apply that to my reasoning and kind of mm-hmm. see if anything you said could make me a better person in that policy area, maybe a better person in that regard. 
always find ways to learn when debating people and right. cooking with people. But what 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 about that? That sounds very good and that makes a lot of sense. But what about when you're debating someone that's hard headed and they aren't letting you do that? Oh, that's you a, have to shift it. Then you have to shift it around the debate. Yeah, if, to assertive. If it's a formal debate, you got to be assertive and demonstrate that you're calm, cool, and collected. But if it's a conversation, it's like, bro, like I know you're coming from, but do you, do you care where I'm coming from? And, okay, and so you kind of bring it back on that. And the answer is no. Then it's like, okay, then what are we doing here? Because, <laughs> you know, you can't yell at somebody and yell at the wall. Don't yell at me. I don't have time for this. Is that <laughs> kind of part where you use the Socratic method on them too? A little bit. I, I don't do it as formal as probably you do. But for me, it's always about uh, like applying everyone's points of view, seeing what they're better at me at, what they know more about me at, and laying that on my perception and my current point of view mm -hmm. and seeing if I'm wrong or if I need to change something. I, I think it's a constant evolution. Right. And I think this one makes me, as you probably said, more open minded and, and more able to like earn your vote because right. I'm a part of you is because I'll make sure that what I'm doing is not based off of my party ideology, my party's perspective, but off of reality. Okay. What actually is going to work, what's actually going to solve the problem, and what's actually going to give the residents of my city better, better, better safety, better revenue for the city, and better quality of life. There we go. Yeah. Good. Good stuff. Well, I appreciate you coming on, man. Of course, man. Anytime. Thank Take you. Thanks, Andrew.